the C.D. Howe Institute, Essential Policy Intelligence. Welcome to Intelligence Chat, a C.D. Howe Institute podcast that asks the right questions and provides the answers. I'm Kyle Murphy. Are Canadians acting like they are house poor and scrimping on spending in other parts of their lives because of what they pay for homes? That's the opening question to the Institute's latest report. What's interesting about the question is the following fact. Canadian monthly mortgage bills, measured by the percentage of monthly disposable income that goes to mortgage payments, has remained virtually the same size from 1990 to 2016. But this measurement hides something important, the composition of that mortgage payment between interest and principal, and how that's changed over the years. To help us understand the question that opened this discussion and draw implications for policymakers, I'm joined now by Jeremy Cronick, Senior Policy Analyst here at the Institute and author of the report, Spendthrifts and Savers, Are Canadians Acting Like They Are House Poor or House Rich? Jeremy, welcome. Thanks, Kyle. Jeremy, to start, I want to discuss the composition of Canadian mortgage payments. Now, as I mentioned before, the mortgage payment for a Canadian measured by how much of their disposable income is going towards the payment, has remained virtually unchanged for a while. But the mortgage payment is, today, made up more by the principal of debt than the interest. You describe this change as making Canadian households more vulnerable. Could you explain? Sure. So if you think about the current situation, we have interest rates that are at essentially historical lows, and we have house prices that are essentially at historical highs. So what are the more likely scenarios that happen under this, uh, in, in this environment? So the first is interest rates are much more likely to go up than they are to go down. And if that happens, households have higher mortgage payments to make every month than they previously had. Now, if you look 20 years ago, this was a lot less likely when interest rates were near 10%, above 10%, and the more likely direction for those interest rates were down. So it's riskier from the perspective, first of all, of interest rates. The second part of the additional risk is that the house prices and therefore the size of the principal of that debt are much greater than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so if, for example, house prices were to go down 20%, that's a much bigger amount today on a house that's a million dollars on a mortgage that's 800, 900,000 than it was 15, 20 years ago. So if you think we're in a housing bubble, and there's risk of drops to the housing prices, that's a bigger deal now than it was before for the average household. Let's revisit the question that opened this podcast. Are Canadians acting like they're house poor? That is, are they cutting back in other areas of spending to cover the cost of these homes that have increased in value? So the short answer is no. So if you look at what my results in this paper show, it's that this increased risk Uh, has not been compensated for by households. So in areas that do not include housing, spending has not dropped at all. We see basically an insignificant set of results. And so what that implies is that if if you believe that that consumers should um, compensate for increased risk in any area of their lives with some form of precautionary savings, uh, this has not occurred. And additionally... Um, the housing wealth that has been accumulated from rising house prices that would otherwise act as some form of a buffer. Um, Consumers, we do see some spending out of that housing wealth, uh, so you lose some of that potential buffer. And and it's also this exact um, uh, wealth that will be lost should there be some form of economic shock that drops housing price value significantly. 
Now, our listeners might find the implications you draw from the data the most interesting part of this report. Ask the average Canadian what poses the greatest risk to the Canadian to Canadian mortgage holders, and they'll likely say rising interest rates. But you don't quite agree with that. I'll quote from the report. The risk to the economy is less about rising interest rates that increase total mortgage costs and more about a negative economic shock that will be exacerbated by higher leverage debt, that is, more principal than interest in the monthly mortgage bill, and housing wealth that may not be there to compensate. Could you unpack this for us a little? So I think it's best to take this in steps. So let's first talk about the interest rate story. So again, what the results do show is that an increase in interest rates that would increase total debt servicing wouldn't actually have a great impact on non-housing consumption. Now, you're right. That is an interesting result for most Canadians. Part of the story might be the reason for this result is that, as we've mentioned so far, total debt servicing as a percentage of disposable income has mostly been flat in the last 25 years. So even though debt levels in their absolute size have gone up, the amount you have to spend each month hasn't. So there might actually be some flexibility to increase that total debt servicing without forcing consumers to not spend in other areas of the economy. So that's the first part on interest rates, and that's that might explain those results. Now, on the bigger risk being the negative economic shock, so the point I made earlier I think rings true about the negative economic shock. So if you think about if there's a big economic shock that either triggers uh, a declining uh, set of house prices or is the result of uh, declining house prices, it's this uh, that could have a greater impact because consumers are relying on that housing wealth perhaps to fund some of their non-housing consumption. So the bigger risk is that that's going to occur uh, and consumers won't have that wealth a- anymore and, and if they're forced to sell or things of that nature that occur during recessions, uh, they may be made worse off and without having saved or in this current period of time, uh, additional money to compensate for that risk, uh, they might be worse off. All right, Jeremy, you outline recommendations for our central banking friends and our elected officials. Let's start with the Bank of Canada. From a monetary policy perspective, could you tell us your top one or two recommendations for the bank? I think for the bank there are two. The first one is that there's going to preparing for a neg- negative economic shock and the stimulus that'll be required is prudent, especially in light of the lack of precautionary savings that has occurred during this more riskier composition of debt period. So that's number one. The second is on interest rates. So I think there's been concern that the bank uh, can't start increasing their own overnight policy rate um, because they'd be concerned that that would have negative economic effects on households' ability to uh, finance their mortgaging and pay their, their, their mortgages. I think that the results in this paper actually show that that's less worrisome than previously believed. And so as long as the economy is moving at the pace uh, that that is required uh, for the bank to consider increasing their overnight policy rate, I think these results would support that. Uh, what about uh, elected officials? Same question. Top one or two recommendations. So I think there are, again, I think the, the main thing here for the elected officials is that most of the policies that have been undertaken to tame the housing market have been from the demand side. And there's debate as to how effective they have been. Some have said yes, some have said no. Um, But in any case, they've mostly been on the demand side. 
So I think it's prudent, a lot of certainly the new ones, um, to see the impact that they have on the housing market, which is going to take time. It's not just a knee-jerk reaction to look one month after the policy and say how things have gone. I don't think you can tell that. That's the one part of it. The other part is to focus on the supply side. Now, on the supply side, you get first of all, you get the added benefit of, of encouraging a construction industry that plays an important part of the economy. And there's also... Uh, the fact that in the long run, when you have demand as high as demand is in your big cities such as Toronto and Vancouver and will continue to be, you have to manage to match the supply of housing to the demand. Now, this isn't an aggregate thing where you look at all housing and say, well, we have enough supply to meet demand. You have to look at what's in demand. And what's in demand is detached and semi-detached homes. And that has not supply has not kept up with those demand uh, needs in the big cities in Canada. Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. You can find the comprehensive analysis of Jeremy's paper at www.cdhow.org, along with cutting-edge analysis on a wide variety of public policy issues. And that's all for Intelligence Chat. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Until next time, I'm Kyle Murphy. Thanks for listening. The C.D. Howe Institute. Essential Policy Intelligence.